Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. I have some very fresh news from the country I'm living in. I live in the United Arab Emirates. And very recently, according to Gallup, nearly two thirds of the workforce in the UAE admit that they are quiet quitting. Gallup has estimated low engagement at work with a cost for the global economy of 1.8 trillions, which accounts for 9% of the global gross domestic product. Mm. Now, that makes you think like, what is happening today? Are we improving on the way we are managing positive work culture? And today, to talk about positive work culture, I have taken one of the major references in terms of positive work culture, Dr. Joy Fawcett. He is the culture architect of the Work Positive Framework. He is a certified executive coach and the best-selling author of Work Positive in a Negative World the team edition. He hosts the Work Positive podcast. His work has appeared in several well-known and reputable journals like the Wall Street Journal, like Money Watch, CNBC, Fox Business News, and you name it. So it is kind kind of countless. And the reason why I I wanted to have Joey as a guest is because I have so many questions about what it means and can we really start helping leaders design a mindset made to build positive cultures. And that's what we are going to be discussing today. Welcome, Joy. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Oh, Ivan, I am absolutely delighted to be here. Uh, It just occurs to me with that latest news from your country there, that two thirds of the workers are quietly quitting. That's not very quiet anymore. That, no. That's roaring in your work culture. Exactly. So it is a little bit, how can I call it? Uh, a little bit like I, we feel the pain, in fact, because this country is perceived like a booming country where the economy mm-hmm. is booming, where mm-hmm. people really want to come and work here in the UAE. And sure. suddenly you hear this type of news. Then you say something it needs to be done better. But it's not only about the UAE. It is about the whole world. Right. And yeah. I have my first question, Joey. Okay. Uh, do you think it makes sense that companies start investing in helping employees design their own mindset? Because we don't see it very often, right? In, in the cu- typical curricula, of trainings for employees, you would see a little bit of technical skills, a little bit of interaction. Very lately, a lot of emotional intelligence topics are are coming, a little bit about managing the symptoms of stress. Uh, But what about designing your own mindset? This doesn't happen. What is your take about that? Mm -hmm. Uh, The first core practice in the work positive framework is the perceived core practice. And that's the one that has to do with the mental mindset. That's the mental dynamic of a work positive culture. Uh, I'm fond of saying, Ivan, that your positive work culture starts and stops in the minds of your team members, Uh, how they think about themselves, how they think about work. So when we're talking about the work positive framework and this perceived core practice, mindset is the beginning point because legitimately, what you focus on is what you see and you see what you look for. So if all of my team members are quietly quitting, if they're disengaged, by the way, here in the U S Gallup found that it was about 85% are disengaged. Um, so they're in the UAE two thirds quietly quitting. I mean, it's at epidemic proportions. So if all of my coworkers are quietly quitting, or two out of three of them anyway, I'm going to see that. I'm going to see they're checked out. And since you see what you look for, then two out of three, I'm going to begin to see everybody checked out. So how does that affect my behavior, Ivan? I check out also. And Mm. so I just come in and do the minimal amount 
and get out and hope I can keep my job. Hope I did enough to keep my job for the next day, right? There's just this quiet desperation that's going on. So yes, mindset is supremely important. And to your point, I like you, other than those companies that choose to work positive, right? Uh, I like you see most on board, well, when we see onboarding, it's usually around technical skills and here's how to use the system and things like that. We are, as you said, beginning to see some emotional intelligence. What we're seeing around mindset, it, it's really a surge because one of our, um, one of my other companies, I have this parent company and work positive is one, coach positive is another. We do certified ICF, International Coaching Federation certified coach training. So what we're discovering is that more and more persons want to learn how to lead from a coaching perspective because they understand that coaching for results is a better way of engaging people and, and turning back the tide of quietly quitting. So we think it's a powerful combination with the work positive framework and teaching the strategies, but more specifically the tactics, even around mindset. Uh, that we do and combining that with coaching so that coaching comes from this framework is a powerful organizational tool that can create a positive work culture epidemic very, very quickly. Mm. But I think that, the, that there is also a problem with coaching. It has got a little bit of a neutral reputation. Let, let, let me tell you a little bit more about that. So sure. the coach as a leader approach became popular maybe 15, 20 years ago. So let's say at, at the beginning or maybe three or five years after I started working uh, in the corporate world, but the mm -hmm. results are not there. So the question is, is uh, people are continue to be disconnected from the uh, workplace. Is this is this a, the problem comes from the approach that is not working or is it the way of teaching leaders that is not working? Mm, mm. Or is it both? <laughs> because yeah, the way indeed, of, indeed. The, yeah, the way of training, right? And developing leaders as coaches can definitely affect the implementation, right? To your point, and it's an excellent point, Ivan, um, the word coaching has a, a broad range of definitions depending on who you're speaking with, right? Uh, that's why I said ours is an ICF certified program. There are eight core competencies that one must abide by in order to be an ICF certified coach. And of course, our training program must do the same. So we, we train out of that. Some people, when they say coaching, they mean advice giving, and let me tell you how to do your job better. <laughs> yeah, that and, happens, indeed. Yeah, oh, it happens regularly. And so we just suddenly, we, we think we can wave a memo and all of our leaders become coaches because we want them just to tell people here, go tell them what to do. Um, and, and that is one, for instance, in, we call it soccer here, you would call it football there. Um, in, in soccer, there's a coach, right, that tells the players how to play better and calls the plays and things like that. That's not necessarily what coaching can mean. So back to your question about mindset, we as a coach use the best of brain science to understand how we can best help this person do one of several things. One, first of all, gain new awareness about a situation. Secondly, choose an action that's, that aligns with that new awareness about that situation. And then thirdly, uh, develop their own accountability system for ensuring that they act in a way that they choose to act that's consistent and aligned with that new awareness. Now, you don't hear me saying anything about being told what to do and things like that. The brain science suggests, uh, at least the latest neuroscience suggests that whenever I tell you what to do, Ivan. Well, Ivan, you should have done this, or Ivan, you need to do this, right? Those are just wonderful words, need and should, right? It, it's kind of like um, your, your brain here in the prefrontal cortex area uh, becomes like Kevlar or maybe Teflon if you prefer cooking, right? Um, it, the, the being told what to do bounces off because I, I don't trust you or perhaps our relationship isn't strong enough for me to actually adopt what you're saying. Now, you can be manipulated into doing what someone else wants, but that's how we get quiet quitting, right? I've just been manipulated into compliance and conformity over and over and over. Instead, 
through the use of powerful questions, uh, growth can be facilitated in which I'm thinking about this work situation in a new way. So I'm back to mindset, right? I'm raising awareness of it, which really engages my mind and my uh, emotions, right? Because motivation is always internal. I can either manipulate you, as I said a moment ago, or I can stimulate you. So through powerful questions, I'm prompting you to think about this situation perhaps differently than you would have. So that answer lies within you and the client or the team member that the leader is coaching is the expert, but it's my job as the coach to help that person find the better solution within, choose an action which aligns with and supports that new awareness, and then to choose a way of being accountable in that. So it's not about me as a coach telling you, here's what you ought to do, or as we would say in the South where I live, what you got to do, <laughs> right? It, it's instead helping that person birth a new awareness, choose an action, and then hold themselves accountable for it. So what happens when you do that in terms of creating a positive work culture and you're doing it from this framework of understanding that you see what you look for and thing and other four other core practices we can talk about um, is that it begins to spread um, incredibly quickly the positive work culture and therefore innovation, uh, disruption, creativity, the kinds of competitive advantages that all of our companies are looking for begin to take root and accelerate and grow much more quickly because you're leveraging then the body of knowledge, the skills, the assets, the wisdom, if you will, Ivan, of all of the team members, rather than expecting there to be one or two persons who are dumping down everything on all the other employees. Joey, what I'm hearing from, from you is that, so the principles of coaching have a lot of impact. And the good thing is also that in the last 10 years, brain science has become a little bit more popularized and we understand a little bit better how the brain we do, don't we? Process, yeah. uh, pro process information, processes decision, mm -hmm. process intrinsic motivation. And mm -hmm. we also know also that coaching had, can be a, a good driver uh, of uh, if it triggers uh, yes. the feeling of autonomy when you were saying, Ivan, you Very gotta nice. do this. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, the feeling of autonomy, the feeling of meaning, but mm. there's still so there is still things that are not working correctly in the, in the system. So it can be bad coaches, it could be uh, bad methodology, um, mm. and and sometimes pushing leaders to, I mean, having the choice between is it the leaders who need to uh, to do to learn. A, a way that is adapted to the business context rather than being equal to a certified ICF coach. Right, right. And that may, may be a little bit slowing down the, the impact of, co uh, of coaching. Um, could be, could be, because to yeah. your point, what we oftentimes see is that a C-suite leader will initiate change and it can be change of any type. Um, and however they want that change to be initiated, they choose. And the more successful CEs uh, are wise and therefore seek um, to collaborate, right? To create a collaborative environment and collaborate with all members of all teams in some way, shape, form, or fashion, right? But what happens so often is the change gets initiated at the top. And then to your point, Ivan, it, when it hits mid-level manager, that's sort of the intersection or a crossing point for the, um, if you want to call them front-facing teams and C-suite. And so we have discovered that that's where these change initiatives, even coaching for positive work culture, that's where they dam up, is right there at the mid-level manager area. So um, we like when we go in and, and help a company coaching for positive work culture, we think that the leaders, the C-suite, should be coached themselves. And we have a coach community that does that. But our goal is not to create a dependent relationship with them. In other words, I don't, I don't want to be coaching them 10 years from now. I want them to 
get coached. Some of them may choose to be ICF certified coaches themselves, but what we really want them to do is to understand the role of management, which is changing dramatically mm. in a remote or a hybrid or a distant, you know, a long distant relationships uh, of our teams, however you want to describe it. But we want them to understand that mid-level manager is the one who does the interpreting. So emphasis has to be placed on helping those mid-level managers develop skills. So that's why we have work positive manager coach training in which, you know, we know that most mid-level managers are not going to want to go through an entire year long ICF certification program. So we help them develop, I call it coaching light, right? We help them develop some coaching skills so that they understand what makes for a positive work culture. And so they experience seven keys to work positive, that coaching program where they, that's the DNA of a positive work culture as we understand it out of our framework. Then we help them develop some basic coaching skills. We give them a model to work off of, which happens to be our coach positive hourglass model so that they can guide conversations. The big thing we help them do, Ivan, is to help them understand when to manage and when to coach. Mm. Because when you're a manager, you still got to make sure some things get done and get done our way, right? The, the, the insert the name of the company here way, right? And so that's what makes the mid-level manager role so critical. However, we also understand that those skill sets for coaching are directly applicable to people because at the end of the day, Ivan, it's people who get the work done. And so how do you construct a culture in which people excel? By the way, we have three generations at work now in a lot of companies and those three generations have different definitions of what it means to excel and how I'm going to get there. So we like for them to understand that. And that way they meet their teams and team members where they are and can construct an environment, if you will, in which they are most likely to succeed and have conversations with them that help them succeed. What I understand from this conversation is that the coach as a leader has, I mean, it's almost like in his accountability or his tool his toolbox is to drive uh to help people create a, a mindset that is positive so that they act mm -hmm. and, and it starts by by the coach himself right it, it starts yes. i mean you cannot be talking about a mindset if you cannot you haven't used the, the tools <laughs> yourself exactly I mean, exactly. we don't know that it's difficult. I mean, let's look at the reality. Very. I've I've been in this world of work culture already for so many years, and yes. I, there is still things that are a daily struggle to change in, in terms mm. of the control of our emotion and in, in terms of con mm. the control of our perspective about the future. So it's a, yeah. it's a little bit tough. Um, it's very tough. So we it's about the mindset. It is about helping people to develop. Uh, a sense of autonomy so that mm -hmm. they are finding the answers by themselves about how to do things mm. uh, is about also maybe finding meaning at work. Why are yes. we doing what we, uh, what we do? Um, oh, yeah, that one's really important. And help them uh, get every single day a little bit better, that, that you feel that you what you're doing is not the same as couple of weeks ago that you you are improving your skills this sense of, of mastery that helps organizations thrive through motivation that comes from within yourself um, yes exactly joy what you have got close to 39 years helping leaders define positive uh -huh. cultures right oh, what are the, the major changes that you have observed in the definition of of, of positive work culture it's not the same because I still remember 20 years ago, it wasn't the same, uh, mm. our definition. Oh, wow. Yeah. The, the human dynamic is fluid and continues to develop daily, right? And as I mentioned a moment ago, each successive generation experiences work differently as a different set of definitions around success at work and what that means. My generation and our daughter's generations define work and, and success at work very differently. I'll speak to one uh, thing that I think we're beginning to understand more about Ivan, and uh, I'm certainly committed to accelerating uh, understanding around. Um, there's so much conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? DEI. Some companies are beginning to understand the importance of belonging 
in that equation and how to create belonging. Now for millennials and Gen Zs, this is paramount. And so the simple way of understanding and the quickest way of understanding belonging, what it means to belong and meaning that you mentioned a couple of times there is, is directly related to this. Millennials and Zs must find meaning in their work. And it is from that meaning that they gain a sense of belonging. Now, how do we best do that? The, the, if, if I were to, I'm, I'm all about, I mean, I'm all about strategy, but tactics. What's one thing you can do today? That, that's my whole thing. Do one thing, dot, do one thing. So what's one thing you can do today? Um, an equity of exchange, if you can focus on an equity of exchange, the team members are giving 70% of their waking hours to work, mm -hmm. regardless of how well they're working or if they've quietly quit or whatever. 70% of their waking hours are coming in work, right? So that being said, seven out of 10 of, of my hours are coming to work. Therefore, the daily task that I have, what is it I'm doing every day? Doesn't matter what you're doing, but what, what are you doing? You can be manufacturing widgets or you can be writing AI code um, or code using AI, right? That daily activity must be connected somehow to the larger cause or the larger mission of that organization. I want to see where I fit. It's, it's like the old story between, you know, the two guys are, are cutting up rocks and one is I'm making little rocks out of big rocks. And the other is I'm building a cathedral. Hmm. So how do I connect my team members as a leader? How do I connect my team members daily tasks and help them understand this equity exchange? They're giving time, energy, and attention to these tasks. Now, how do those tasks fit into the larger mission of the company, whatever, whether it's a product or a service or a cause, whatever it is you're doing. So I need to see how I fit. Then Ivan, I need a clear career path that connects my daily activities to what it is that the company is doing. And I want to see what mile markers are along the way for my own development, because I, I no longer think of myself as personal and professional. Hmm. I'm Dr. Joey right? I'm, I'm a whole person. So whatever develops me in my daily work that I'm giving 70% of my waking hours to that aligns with this company mission, I want to see that career path. And I want to know what the development stages are in there that's going to help me grow. I'm absolutely ecstatic about these demands or expectations that are now in the workplace, because I think Ivan, it's you know, we had the great resignation and you're talking about quiet quitting, the great regret followed the great resignation. I think we're in the midst of another great, I think it's the great redefinition of work. Mm. The esprit de corps among teams, the joie de vivre that work can provide when meaning and belonging uh, are there, when trust and safety are in a positive work culture. And I can disagree with my boss, agreeably, of course, but when I can disagree with my leader without fear of reprisal or getting fired, because we're all committed to that company mission and we all understand how our daily tasks fit, right? Hmm. When those elements are in place and I really belong, I will give heart and soul to that company. And therefore, quiet quitting is not even an option because I'm finding meaning in my work, I'm finding belonging, and I have a sense of trust and safety and a bit of clarity, not necessarily certainty, but a bit of clarity about wherein my future lies as I'm uh, being a good steward of these hours. Joy, I, I'm listening to you and now I, I have even more questions. So from one side, part of the solution is from having an effective way of making leaders become a coaches. But then you are into the actual implementations, uh, implementation as an individual. And right. for that, you need training. Uh, yes. How to do, and, and we are talking about training that is based on practice because meta mm. skills like uh, understanding, okay, capturing this story about how do I remind myself to that, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's yes. already difficult, like even for people like me as, so as, an, as an entrepreneur, I hate doing accounting, but I have to do it for the biggest, 
for the bigger scope, which is yeah. I'm helping people progress in their careers or, or yeah. work cultures thrive or whatever story I have built on my head, but it is still yep. a painful exercise. So what, what, <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is that we also have another challenge is that training hasn't changed for so many years and we are still mm. training people in the same old ways that even, I don't know, my father was trained in, in a corporation. So yep. what the hell? So we need new tools <laughs> to, in order, because people needs to practice in a recurrent basis so that it becomes a, like an automatic reflex uh, mm. to have a little bit of self-awareness, to have moments of mindfulness or whatever it is uh, that is necessary to create the change. What is your take about training? I, I, I know that you are not into the specifically in the training area, more in the coaching area, but what is your take about that? Well, we do coach training. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so it's on the other side of our house, you know, work positive is the framework. Coach positive is the use of coaching for positive culture. So we, it's kind of like we're pushing two grocery carts down the same aisle and filling them both up. Right. Um, and also my, most of my doctoral work is in adult education. And I was uh, oh. very fortunate to work with persons who were at the forefront of understanding adult education and how adults learn. And so the, you know, the psychology, the social psychology, the sociology of learning and those kinds of things, how do those take expression in training programs that that was, whether it's formal or informal learning systems, that was what I cut my teeth on in, um, in my, my doctoral work. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of background in training. Um, and that's why just to, refer back to what I was just talking about, Ivan. That's why the development milestones and those markers in that career path are so important. Because if, and, and I prefer the word development over training, that, that's mm. just my preferred word. Because we, you know, I, I can train my horses. I can train my dogs. My daughters, I never could train in the same way. Because I know it's a stimulus and response with my dogs and my horses. Um, it's stimulus response with children, perhaps when they're young, but abstract thinking takes them and that plus hormones, right? Take them in a whole different direction as they get older. So I prefer that word development because I have a very high regard for humanity. Uh, there are almost 8 billion of us here. Uh, no two of us are exactly alike. That's a design on purpose. There's a design intention. So if these are people doing the work, the big difference in training today is training historically has been viewed as transactional. Mm. I put in information and I expect you to regurgitate it. And that's how you get an ISO 9000, whatever certification. It's how you get whatever it is that you need. It's how you become an accountant, right? By the way, there are lots of accountants you can hire. So I'll be glad to connect you with <laughs> mine. Because I don't do accounting either. <laughs> but that training is, is simply transactional. I'm putting in information. I'm taking the information out. Today, as a part of the great redefinition of work, Ivan, we're looking for transformation. And that's why development fits along this career path as I, this equity of exchange, I'm aligning my daily task with the mission of the company and I see my role better and meaning and belonging come in then. So the transformation happens in relationships. Now, our online courses are, I mean, they're online. They're in a learning experience platform. However, the learning experience platforms of today are far different than the ones that I began using even 15 years ago. Um, and I'm not going to call the names of any companies, but I mean, they were kind of clunky and it was monological, right? <laughs> today, dialogical uh, learning, peer-to-peer -peer learning is taking place in learning experience platforms. Now, what we find works best is and, and you've got this whole dialogue around asynchronous and synchronous learning. Notice I'm avoiding the word training. So we can think asynchronous and synchronous development, right? So I can go in and I can watch a, a video of Dr. Joey or someone else. And I can, I can gain the points. I can download some things. I can learn that. 
But now there are places where uh, we, in fact, encourage it, where you can comment on it. You can read your peers' comments. But we, we like to bring a synchronous dynamic to even asynchronous learning. And we just call them check-ins. So we may do a check-in every other week or check-in once a month where we get on Zoom or whatever platform the company desires. And we say, hey, what are you learning? How's it going? Uh, ask your questions. Let's make application in real time to what you're discovering here. Because that's the way adults learn. They're going to learn what they want to learn. And that's why it's development, because it's directly applicable to my everyday task and helps me understand them in the sense of the greater movement. So it's this relationship-based development. And it's people who do this work. So that's why it's the great redefinition of work. It's no longer training that doesn't work, which is transactional, but it's development that's transformational. So that out of a relationship between the leader and the team member, they both collaborate and grow and the company benefits from the gestalt that happens from there. What you're saying about the redefinition of training uh, is totally right. In fact, we have the tools. It's only when companies decide to focus on one specific tool that it doesn't mm -hmm. work, like totally go for LinkedIn learning or totally in-class training, two days, yeah. people. That, that yeah. doesn't work. But if we take nope. the pieces together, if mm -hmm. we want to create relatedness uh, or mm -hmm. give feedback, and we need a human presence. It's not a chatbot we who do. can give that if we need to That's have right. a scale or give the possibility to for people to learn whenever they want there needs mm. to be a little bit of e-learning if there are solutions yes. uh learning experience platforms that allows you to already create that uh yes. it's just a pity that there is still a little bit of resistance for to for change to move out of certain paradigms like Let's do in-class training all the time. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And not only the modality, and, and there's a continuing dialogue between in-person versus virtual. There is some of that. But the bigger conversation that we find to be much more impactful on the way adults learn and the way your employees develop has to do with timing. Uh, we have historically with our in-person um, seminars or workshops done what we refer to as fire hosing um, the, the team members. We just get them in there and we think, erroneously Ivan, but we think because we brought you to a two-day seminar or we brought you to a week of training and we bombarded you, we fed you well now and, and we tried to provide you with comfy seats and kept the temperature climate control <laughs> in a way that was good for everybody. We gave you enough coffee to keep you stimulated, right? Overstimulated probably. Uh, but we think we can just barrage you, barrage you with information. And it's just like this the whole time, right? Our expectation is that you walk away from that two, three, five day and your behavior will have changed. Ivan, nothing could be further from the truth because that's not the way adults learn. It's not the way we change our behavior. We learn at our own pace. We learn about things that are important to us. So I have to see the relevance. I have to see the relevance between what you're teaching me and what's the payout, right? What's the benefit, intangible and tangible to me. But it's got to occur over time. I mean, we, we know, you know, you started off this line of questioning by talking about mindset. We know it takes 21 days to change a behavior, a minimum of 21 days before you begin unconsciously engaging in that new behavior. Now, there are all sorts of growth hacks that we can do. Some people think we can shorten that up. Uh, Dr. Sean Aker wrote a book, uh, The Happiness Advantage, some years ago that includes a ton of great principles in there. My favorite is the 22nd rule, by the way, in terms of developing new habits. Um, but we, we just know adults take time. And so you've got to allow people time to learn, to your point earlier, a safe environment with trusted people where they can practice these skills, make mistakes. And so we want to walk them up to the edge of their competence hmm. and then have them fail graciously, learn from the experience 
and then put that learning in practice the next time. But it's got to be in that safe environment, right at the edge of your competence. We expect you to fail. Then we help you learn from that, you know, and, and the coaching process is immensely effective at doing that. Joey, what is incredible is like approximately 50% of the HR people who are taking decisions about the way people should be developed uh, at work. So now mm. I haven't used train at work. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I have a background in psychology. So the mm. definition, the habit formation path is something that they do quite early in their psychology studies. Nevertheless, yep. when they are at work, it's almost like they forgot what it was yeah. all about being human. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we forgot these are actually people <laughs> <Yeah. Hey, hey. laughs> that are doing the work. Exactly. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm back to the great redefinition of work. We're seeing it as an expression of our highest humanity. And it's an opportunity to, uh, I don't want to sound squishy, but to do good in the world and do good for the world, right? Because these are people doing the work and they're providing for their families and they're living in their communities. They want to be good citizens. They want to make decisions that benefit the most people possible. So uh, we, we just got to bear that in mind. They, these are not uh, gumball machines in which we place a coin, turn a lever, and out pops new behavior. And <laughs> um, thinking about the times when I took the decision to so freshly out of university, deciding mm -hmm. where to go, Sure. Uh, so it's approximately 20 years ago. I, I still remember that the choices that the, 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 the way I was choosing where to go in, hmm. uh, in terms of company was about money and status. I don't know yeah. if it is because of my background or, or I don't know. Oh, that was the reason, true. but for a lot of people, it was like yeah, you go absolutely. to who pays the most or if it is a reputable company, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Those are those are two metrics that have commonly been held up, money and status. Now, the millennials, uh, to some extent, and Gen Z, to another to a greater extent, yeah. are recognizing today that when it comes to work, there are other metrics that are as or more important. Now, money is important. We all live in a world where in order to create sustainability, we have to make money, right? It's that it's a different equity of exchange, right? Um, status, eh, it's probably more ego driven than anything, right? Uh, so it, when you're coming out of university, you're identifying yourself for the first time. And so you're shaping that self identity as an adult. So, so what is this all about? However, my generation, the boomer generation has proven that pursuing only money and status results in the highest divorce rate of any previous generation, mm. right? Um, more, not only more failed marriages, but <laughs> more failures in terms of my generation has the highest thus far of addiction. I mean, all of the things that are anything but the great redefinition of work, right? Have been served by a hyper focus, almost, it's really almost monocular view, a myopic view of money and status. So what we're seeing now is that that had certain unintended consequences societally. But what this next generation and the millennials to some extent are discovering, Ivan, is, hey, we see where you failed because we're the products of those failures. You know, uh, to, to use failed marriages, for instance, you know, millennials and Gen Zs are the ones who got trucked back and forth between homes, sometimes across continents, right? Yeah, just so you could be with your other parent. And, and that's taken an emotional toll, right? So we see the emotional toll that's taken. So we want to bring some other metrics up alongside of money and status and reprioritize that. So now, I mean, we're back to our conversation about meaning and belonging, right? And the relationships and the transformation and the development and that equity of exchange, the connection here. Because at the end of the day, what we're really talking about is creating a community at work of people who are committed, even hyper committed, because they see their daily task connected to that mission of the company. Despite the, that there has been many reports that highlight that, I don't know, that for Gen Z, uh, 
the salary or the perks is number four in terms of the priority. The uh, and for yeah. my generation, it was number one. <laughs> yep. Um, mm -hmm. There is still many companies who have a hard time to prioritize where to focus uh, right. uh, in order to adapt and to adapt to the to the times that are changing and attract this Gen Z because this Gen Z either they they don't they are not scared about saying I stay three months and I leave. I, I wouldn't have done that in my, in my times. I, I mean, for me, it was to stay at least three years until you know that you cannot, you are half broken and then you leave. <laughs> but, so right. how can companies prioritize where to focus uh, today? Because there is some, for some companies, there is so many things that they need to correct this sense of belonging, mid-management uh, mid who is still not connecting with people, the yep. developing path of uh, how to grow inside of the company is not communicated correctly. There is no transparency about what is happening in the company. We are all scared because there is going to be a financial crisis and then we scream. But yeah. <laughs> how can they start prioritizing? What could be the, the good way to start at least to say, let's start with that? Uh, yeah, at the risk of sounding self-serving, um, <laughs> it, it, it starts uh, with someone like myself or another positive work culture architect coming in and just walking alongside the leaders in that company to say, you know, what's working well, what's not working well, how do we create a transformation plan? Because if you don't, if, if, if you still lack understanding about how a positive work culture I mean, it's three to five times the ROI. Whatever you spend, it's three to five times the ROI every time. I mean, pick an HBR study or Stanford or MIT, any of those studies, they're lying all over the place. Um, positive work cultures accelerate earnings growth, 28% year over year, 19% increase in operating income year over year. I mean, you just continue to see it. If you don't believe those facts, look at your retention rate, look at your turnover rate. It costs you the most conservative I've seen is two and a half times a person's out annual salary to replace them. Uh, Peter Capelli was on my work positive podcast and he's at Wharton's school of business at university of Pennsylvania. He's a distinguished fellow there. He says it's 10 to 12 times and more. Mm. So if you can afford to keep losing cash that fast, <laughs> they keep doing what you're doing. The, the companies that are gonna eat your lunch are the ones who understand that we have culture goals, that we have development goals, that we reinforce our culture daily, not through training, but through development exercises that our leaders continue to speak the culture. We understand the culture. It's a defined culture. It takes someone usually from outside of a company to bring about that kind of transformation because you need that fresh set of eyes and someone who's an expert in culture, not doing that. Then you're self-selecting to be out of business very, very quickly. I don't care what industry you're in. Indeed. Uh and, but th there is something even worse, I guess, is that, so if you have the smarty ones who decide to leave your company because they weren't feeling okay or, or aligned with your work culture, the worst thing might be even the people who stays because that, that means that <laughs> and probably they are not working. So the level no, of presenteeism has also been growing, but that number, not everybody's measuring. That is yeah. only like global studies. And that can be hours and hours that you're paying to someone just to be looking at the at the at the computer, just staring right. without doing anything. Exactly. Well, we began this conversation by your stating clearly that in UAE, two thirds have quietly quit. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones you're talking about. And that's yeah. a drag. That's like trying to sail your boat with the anchor out. That you you're just not gonna succeed. A quick one about where are we going in terms of the future uh, of work. So we are talking a lot about 
So more and more remote working, more and more this need of human-centric approach because yes. the employees are asking for that. Human yes. resources have finally waken up during COVID about this need. Okay, I, I, I know that I'm a little bit too critical about them. Um, there is a, <laughs> a high rotation of, of people and maybe it's not such a bad thing that people are leaving rapidly jobs. Maybe the future of work is not to stay uh, for many years mm -hmm. in a company, working projects right. here and there yep. remotely, right. the project-based. So there right. is a lot of dyn dynamism that is going to happen. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. And leaders should be learning new skills in order to manage that. So mm -hmm. fairly remote, fairly flexible. Uh, how do we, what would you recommend to these leaders to be ready for this big change, this big transformation of the way we work? Mm. Boy, that's a great question. And one that we could spend an entire program talking about an entire <laughs> yes, episode of your podcast. Let me, let me give a quick and easy answer to that. Bob Johansson is a friend of mine. He's with the Institute for, Fu uh, for the Future. Uh, he's a distinguished fellow there. He was around in, in consulting with the Department of Defense here in the U.S. in 1973 when the ARPANET was invented. That's the precursor to the internet. Um, Bob has been, is a futurist and has been studying the future for a long time. Um, first of all, uh, for a quick way, 30 minute primer on Bob's thinking around the future of work. You can listen to my interview with him on the Work Positive podcast. Secondly, let me recommend his new book to you. It's called Office Shock. All one word, Office Shock. And so in that book, Bob begins talking about the kinds of things that we've been talking about today, only uh, in what he refers to as future back thinking. So what Bob and the Institute does is they study trends, not fads, but trends, which are demonstrable, right? And then what are the logical conclusions for these trends? Where do we see them going, say, 10 years from now? And then... They work with companies to help them design backwards from those 10 years. So if this is the future of work, this is a new state of work 10 years from now, then what is it going to be like in five years from now? And then what do we need to be doing today to prepare for that? Bob's book, Office Shock, is based on the research that they've done around that and really moves us beyond this conversation around, is it hybrid? Is it remote? Or as my friend Kevin Eikenberry talks about, is it long distance? You know, how, how do we decide? Because semantics matter. For instance, I have an allergic reaction to the word remote. I, I would not ever call one of, one of my uh, assistants or somebody on our teams remote. Because I, back to the transformational nature of relationships and developing people to do the work who wants to be called remote ivan i'm remote from you no you know i don't want to be hybrid i'm not sure what that means but <laughs> i know what it means in the fish world because i've caught some hybrid fish but different species but i mean so the nomenclature by which we even refer to the the place of work today is is just poorly lacking Bob's book, Office Shock, talks about the office verse. You've heard about metaverse. He talks about office verse and gives some great uh, insight as to what's coming in work. By the way, we have conversations about the great redefinition of work also. And uh, then what we can do today from a future back thinking perspective. Um, I've, I've got a course. I don't know if it'll be out yet by the time your listeners are hearing this episode. But I've got a course coming out called Small Hinges Swing Big Doors. Mm -hmm. That is one of those actions we can take today to begin creating a positive work culture. And Bob is one of my partners in this course. And there are actually three of his books that are that are in that course uh, that you get when you when you purchase that. So um, we're, we're quite enthusiastic about the future of work and the focus on the great redefinition of work. But uh, so that's a long way of, of providing a simple answer to your question, but get Bob Johansson's book, uh, Office Shock, and read that today. I will, I will even put the link to, uh, for the book and for the, that specific episode of Work Positive Today. So oh, I will thanks. put it below. Uh, 
Joy, how can people find you? They will have certainly a lot of questions or maybe they just want benefit uh, to benefit out of your wisdom. Uh, how can they reach you out? Very kind. One of, the, one of the advantages of being bald with some gray hair is people start calling you wise. So um, <laughs> I first, also obviously you myself. too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite simple. Go to workpositive.today. That's workpositive.today. Um, there you'll find the podcast. You'll find my blogs. You'll also find um, a free course that we like to give away. As I was just talking about nomenclature and all, you know, uh, Ivan, the way we talk about work and the way we talk about each other at work, the way we talk about the companies that we work for, it really matters. So there's a free course, you just scroll down to the bottom of the page there, a free course called Something to Talk About. And there's six modules in this mini course and it helps you transform the way you might be talking about work now or the way you've heard other people talk about work to the way that you can talk about work in the kinds of ways that we're talking about here today. So that's workpositive.today and also on Amazon. And uh, I think this is true all over the world, but also on Amazon, uh, my last books, um, my last book, I think, depending on when this episode airs, because Small Hinges Swing Big Doors is also a book. So that's, that's coming out also. Uh, but the Work Positive in a Negative World Team Edition book on Kindle is only 99 cents right now. Mm. So uh, I know it's that way in the US. I think it's that way in the rest of the world, but it could, with currency exchanges, may add a few cents. It's approximately the same. Uh, they, 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 have a, they have a line. Uh, I'm subscribed to Kindle and, I'm uh, and I buy a lot of eBooks online. I right. don't want to use paper anymore. And yeah, it yeah. keeps quite stable, the, uh, the, the prices. Uh, yeah. Dr. Joy said it was really lovely. It's one of the best chapters, one of the best episodes that what I have that I have like gained a lot of knowledge. Uh, mm. I, I really appreciate that you made the time to be with us in the Growth Hacking Culture podcast. I will put all of the links that we have mentioned during this episode below this, uh, this video. Okay. Thank you very much, Joey. Thank you, Ivan. It's been a sheer delight and a real pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.